I've entitled this message this morning simply as, as Jonah. And you're there, and, and I know we've heard the story of Jonah. And Jonah was one of our highlights during VBS this year, was he not? Those who got to participate in that. He even came with his own song. Do you all remember that? I've been great difficulty getting that song out of my head. <laughs> I won't sing it, but you all know the song, Jonah, whatever. Um, but uh, it's a good song. Jonah is one of those characters that some may not like to read about, right? Um, maybe he has often been referred to as the rebellious prophet or the stubborn prophet. But regardless of how our feelings are to him or about him or toward him, his words are, in fact, in Scripture. So they are the inspired Word of God, and since all Scripture is profitable, there is much to glean from this historical narrative about Jonah. Some say this historical narrative is just a story. Some say it's just a myth um, that defies science, that defies our understanding of logic. And I want to say that while science is really on our side, it's on the side of the Bible, do we not also believe in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean... His resurrection, the Lord's resurrection, after a brutal death via the crucifixion of a cross, clearly defines our understanding of science, does it not? He came out of the grave. He was dead. But even though it defies science, the resurrection is the core of our faith, is the core of our faith. So if we can trust God at His word in the resurrection of our Savior, then we can certainly believe that a whale swallowed Jonah. And we can certainly believe that, that God created the world in six literal days. We can believe that axe heads floated on water, that God made the sun stand still in Joshua's day. We can believe all of those things because all of those are less, if you will, than raising Jesus Christ from the dead. But truth be told this morning, defending the Word of God is not the main reason I stand before you. I stand so much not to defend it, but to preach it. And while we will look at every chapter in the book of Jonah, we won't read every chapter this morning, we'll look at every chapter today, I'd like to first draw your attention to a passage that could possibly be Jonah's purpose statement there in Jonah chapter 2. So if you take your Bible and go just one page over to Jonah chapter 2. And uh, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you to, to stand for the reading of God's Word. And look at this passage here in verses 7 through 9. Jonah wrote, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I, but I, Jonah, will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have owed, avowed salvation is of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the reading of your word. We ask that you bless the reading of your word and just meet with us in a mighty way this morning. We thank you and we love you. Thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please, please be seated. So this is kind of um, Jonah's thesis statement. And to give us an idea, we're going to read this here in a moment. Um, this gives us an idea about who Jonah is. And this passage here, back in Jonah, let me, let me go back to that. This passage here, that last, that last verse, that last phrase were, uh, there, salvation is of the Lord. This is one of what I like to call Jonah's mountaintop statements. Salvation is of the Lord. Many of us have probably memorized that out of the book of Jonah. Salvation is of the Lord. But again, in order for us to fully understand who Jonah is and what Jonah is trying to convey 
by writing his story. We must first learn what the Bible has to say about him elsewhere, at least one other place, only one other place that I know of. Now, we're going to return to Jonah's autobiography, but look at the screen here or turn there yourself at 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 and 25, or through 25. The Bible says, In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. Samaria is the northern kingdom capital, and Judah would be the southern kingdom, or Jerusalem would be the southern kingdom capital. But here in Samaria, he began to reign and reigned 40 and 1 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. He restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain, according to the word of the Lord, God of Israel, which spake, which he spake, God spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, which was of Gethhafer, which is and Galilee, actually, so it makes you think about those Pharisees. Who, what came out of Galilee? Well, Jonah came out of Galilee. But then if you take your Bible and go to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, we won't go back to 2 Kings, but if you go to Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, we see, Now the Lord of God came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, so the same Jonah here, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. Now the significance of this, this this calling of Jonah, if you will. Now that we know a little bit about who Jonah is and the time period in which he reigned, we'll, we'll say a little bit more about that time period, but we know he reigned during Jeroboam. Um, so the significance of this calling is that Nineveh is not Israel, right? Jonah was a prophet to Israel. He was from Israel. He wanted to be there for Israel. And Israel was also in deep wickedness. Some would say, some would argue, is pretty close to what Nineveh was going through. Israel and Judah, again, had long been two nations. The northern kingdom with Samaria as their capital and the southern kingdom with Jerusalem. But to give you an idea of how wicked the northern kingdom was at this time and at any time, really, of the 20 kings of the southern kingdom, 20 kings of the southern kingdom, seven of them, God said, were faithful. Seven. Only seven. Seven did that which was right in the eyes of God, as we read that Jeroboam did evil. So that's not a whole lot. That's not many at all. That's the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 19 kings who reigned over it in Sumeria. And you know how many kings were considered faithful there? Zero. All of them were considered wicked by the word of God. And they did that which was evil in the eyes of God, every single one of them. This is the kingdom that Jonah was a prophet in. This was the kingdom, the area, the era that Jonah preached in. And furthermore, in the bigger picture of world events, the Assyrian Empire, where Nineveh was a city was, was not yet a threat to Israel, but it was, it was actually in decline. It, would, it had been a bigger empire, and it will in the future be a larger empire. But during this time here, it was, some would say, in decline, some would say growing, but it was not yet a threat, but it, it was kind of on the rise, I would say. And some have also said that the northern kingdom of Israel at this point was at its strongest economically. Deep in sin, no doubt, but strong economic, strong militarily, but also in deep apostasy. You see, they needed a good prophet. Israel needed Jonah. They needed preachers. They needed people to stand firm in their faith in the one true God, if I can say it that way. And God sent Jonah to Nineveh. 
So Israel's doing all these things, wicked king after wicked king after wicked king, deep in apostasy. God calls up Jonah. He knows the king. And then God says, go that way. Go to Nineveh. Don't go to your own people. Go to Nineveh. And that the Assyrian Empire were a real threat to Israel is evident in our study of history. For under Sennacherib, not that long after this, 52 years or something along those lines, they would come in and destroy Israel forever wiping off the kingdom of Israel from the map. And they would scatter them all out through the Assyrian Empire and intermarry them where we get the idea of the lost tribes of Israel. So while we may give Jonah a hard time, we could easily conclude that his opposition to be a missionary was rooted in his love for country. I could stay there a long time. I was almost a Jonah. And with this cultural background, we can look a little bit further in this, and I want us to read some of Jonah's actions here. Notice again in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa from uh, went down to Joppa lost my place there I paid the fare and he found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish from the presence of the Lord I want you to look at that that number there or that the phrase there from the presence of the Lord in the first 10 verses of this chapter, that phrase is used no less than three times. From the presence of the Lord. And at the end of verse 3, we read that after God called Jonah to Nineveh, he actually, get this now, this is our first point here, Jonah paid. At the end of verse 3, he actually paid money to get away from God, to get away from the presence of the Lord. Not just, I'm just going to ignore for a while, I'm going to do this. He, I mean, we get the idea. The Bible tells us he paid the ship fare. You can see him maybe pulling out his wallet. Maybe he didn't have a wallet, I don't know. And he pulled it out and he paid us 37 euros. Probably not that much either. But he paid to get away from the presence of God. You know, the Bible records real lives about real people. And many times there is a pattern or a character trait that we can emulate today as Christians. This isn't one of them. This isn't one of them. But there is an application that is best formed in a question. How much do we pay to get away from the presence of the Lord? Have we ever done that? I think we have. You know, there was a time in my life when I would rather do just about anything than come to church. Anything. I would rather do anything than come to church or pray or spend time in God's Word. And I think like Jonah, all of us can get to a point where we would rather pay from what God's given us, the blessings come from God in the first place as Christians. We rather pay from what he has blessed us with to flee from the God who gave it to us. That's exactly what Jonah's doing here. And as we can see in the text, Jonah paid the fare, but he paid more than the fare, did he not? He paid more for his fleeing from the presence of the Lord. In verse 4 we read, that the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea. 
And in verse 17, that same chapter, the Bible says, The Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So he paid. In the end, Jonah paid a whole lot more than the ship's fare. He jeopardized the life of others on that ship during that storm. He spent three days in a very unpleasant place, to say the least. And whether it was through God, whether it is for us through God disciplining his children or the practical spiritual ramifications of sins of disobedience, I want to point out this morning that sin always costs more than we're willing to pay. It always comes at a high cost. Jonah certainly didn't think he was going to be swallowed by a whale when he was running from God, but his sin came at a cost. By comparison, sin always comes, always costs more than we are willing to pay. And by contrast, sin actually earns wages. Right? It earns wages. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin, death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. That contrast there tells us that it's eternal death. Eternal death for, or eternal life. And this is something, maybe not in his idea of the cross, he didn't know those things, but he believed in God. You see, when, when Jonah got to the point, when he was in the deepest part of anguish and despair, down there in the depths of the ocean, down in the depths of the deep blue sea, he knew that God would hear him. He knew God would hear him. I mean, can you imagine all wrapped up down there and he, he paid and now he's paying for his sins? He knew that he would just speak the words or even think those words, God would hear him. He knew that. Why else would he cry out from the depths? But he knew. He knew. So Jonah paid, and there, very simply this morning, Jonah prayed. Jump over to chapter, chapter 2. Jonah prayed. Look at verses 1 through 4. Jonah says, or the Bible says, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardest my voice, for thou hadst cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look. Again, toward thy holy temple. You see, with God's intervention, Jonah finally succumbed to God. He finally succumbed to the will of God. Verse 2 again states, I cried by reason of my affliction, and he heard me. And he heard me. Look at verses 5 and 7. Let's read them uh, as well of chapter 2. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottom of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption. O my God, O Lord my God, when my soul fainteth, verse 7, within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee and thine holy temple. And then look at verse number 9. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I've... I've I've, uh, I, that that I vowed, salvation, is of the Lord. So Jonah most certainly realized this morning that if God allowed him to live through this, <laughs> if God prevented the tempestuous storm from taking his life, if God protected him from the men on that ship and then provided a great fish to preserve him in, a, in the sea, when Jonah, through all of that, very much wanted to die, 
I mean, from the very beginning, he just threw me overboard. He wanted to die. And there's an argument that he did die. But in Jonah's mind, to come through all of that, he no doubt realized, there's no way I'm getting out of going to Nineveh. I can't even die. I'm going to Nineveh. So he come to that point and realized, and he prayed to God, says, you win. You win. And you might be thinking, wow, God sure did a lot to get Jonah's attention. He sure did a lot to compel Jonah to be an obedient missionary. He did a lot just to get Jonah to pray. Notice the unfortunate chapter break in between at the end of chapter 1 and, and chapter 2. Verse 17 says, And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then look at verse number 1. Then he prayed. And then he prayed. Let me ask a silly question. How long would you have to be in the, in the belly of a whale before you pray? I mean, really, Jonah? I mean, better question, what does God have to do to get us to pray? You see, we might give Jonah a hard time, but I think we're more like them than we want to admit. More like him. Now, I'm not suggesting that we live in fear of being swallowed by a whale, but I do believe God puts things in our lives to get our attention. Does God have your attention this morning? Has God allowed something in your life so that in your affliction you cry unto God? Or maybe the opposite of, is true, and by God's graces it often is. Has God allowed blessing upon blessing to come into your life and into your family to draw you back into fellowship with Him, to draw you to Him in prayer? What will it take us to pray? Are we as stubborn as Jonah? I sure hope not. Are you swallowed up, if you will, in the stresses and demands of everyday life? Give them to God. Jonah said in verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee. Let's not wait that long. Let's talk to God a, lot, a whole lot before that. Remember the Lord in prayer. Jonah paid a high price for his sin, but then he prayed. There is an example we can't follow. But even in that, I think we can probably get to it a whole lot sooner than Jonah did. Three days. I can't think of many things in my life that I, I mean, three days without my wife, I'm complaining. I'm praying. Lord, what's, what's going on here? Three days without food, right? Lord, please put a meal on my table. Three days of, without my children around, you know, maybe deployed or something like that. Lord, please protect my family. Lord, please protect me. Three days in the whale. Stubborn. I'm not talking to that God. He wants me to go to Nineveh. Jonah prayed. And then jump down to chapter 3. Look at number, look, verse number 1. The Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Arise, go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. It took three days to walk across the greater Nineveh area. So Jonah paid, Jonah prayed, and then this third one, this is probably the highlight of, pretty close to the highlight of Jonah's autobiography, is that he preached Jonah preached. You know, in Scripture and in our modern day life, I just love to see and I love to read 
especially in the Bible, but in other people's lives and stuff like that. I love to see when God gives a command and it is immediately followed by the God, a command of God followed by the man of God. Look at um, the beginning of verse number two. God says, arise, go to Nineveh. Verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Wow. Perfect, right? But if you think about it, could not the book of Jonah begin here? Notice the similarities again between the beginning of the book and chapter 3. The book of Jonah begins with, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, Arise, go to Nineveh. And then in chapter 3, And the word of the Lord came again unto Jonah, said the second time, Arise, go to Nineveh. You know, it would have been much easier for Jonah just to obey in the first place, and a little less slimy, right? <laughs> for him just to obey in the first place. At any rate, we read that Jonah did in fact go, and he did in fact preach. Jonah preached. Jonah preached. He did not want to, but he preached. This reminds me of what Paul wrote there to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 16 and 17. He says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, Paul says, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Now, this doesn't mean we shouldn't be willing to serve God. First Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3.1 says, If man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. But what this does mean is that preaching the word of God is not merely a vocational chore for Christians. A necessity is laid upon us. And a necessity was laid upon Jonah to go preach to the wicked Gentile people of Nineveh. Some even called Jonah the first evangelist to the Gentiles. Now we know the story and that the people of Nineveh turned from their evil way, as verse 10 states. And verse 5 clearly states that the people of Nineveh believed God. So Jonah's mission was successful. And we'll get to his response to that here in a moment. But his mission was successful. But if you think about Jonah for a moment in his person, he went there and he preached. We didn't go too much into detail, but he preached. In 40 days, doom is going to come to Nineveh. Did that happen? Nope. So Jonah maybe even going back to Israel as the, not only the rebellious prophet, but the failing prophet. But he didn't fail. And the grand takeaway for us is that Jonah preached, the people believed, and God spared them. And as we have traveled through some of the books in the Old Testament uh, throughout this year, we have read and we have learned about the power of preaching, especially last week in the book of Ezekiel. And while Jonah's sermon caused a citywide repentance in wicked Nineveh, preaching today is also about repentance and believing and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said this, in Luke 11.30, For as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. And the greatest sign by far that the Son of Man gave unto us is the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is also the, he is the Son of Man who is also the Son of God. Jesus continued in Matthew 12.40, He says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the well's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of of the earth. I want to say this this morning. If God has brought you here today and you are not a believer, know that without a doubt, God is trying to get your attention. God wants to redeem you. And believe it or not, God has done a whole lot more for you than he did for Nineveh. 
God has done a whole lot more to get your attention than he did for Jonah. He didn't send a whale. He sent Jesus Christ to the cross. He sent him to become our sin, to pay our sin debt and to become those things and then offer us eternal life through his resurrection. And how do we receive such a life? By grace through faith, by repenting and believing. You know, Jesus' very first message was repent and believe the gospel. Very first message, repent and believe the gospel. In Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What was his response? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And y'all probably heard this, you maybe committed this to memory by now, Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart, that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You see, God has done so much more for us to get our attention. He has done so much more for us in the cross. Jonah walked through Nineveh with one message, a message of doom in 40 days, and they repented. No fancy dialogue, no eloquence of speech. Jonah didn't even want to be there. He didn't even preach repentance. He preached doom. How do we know this? Look at verse number 9 of chapter 3. This is the people speaking in themselves and saying, Who can tell if God will turn and repent? And turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. And God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did not. They hoped the God of this strange prophet preaching doom to them would give them grace. They didn't hear that from Jonah. They heard doom and despair. And they heard and they believed him. And like, God, if you're God and you're real, spare us. We'll do whatever you want to do. They repented. But how much more has been preached to us? How much more sermon, how many more sermons have been preached to Germans and and to Americans and and on and on down the list all around the world for for thousands of years, hundreds of years? We've been hearing the cross. Within 40 days, this wicked people of Nineveh repented. A people without a God-fearing background repented. And today we are a people who have most likely heard the gospel multiple times. We have heard about the cross. Canadian pastor by the name of Oswald J. Smith used to say this, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. And Jesus said in in Luke chapter 11, verse 32, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Why? For they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Friends, the message of Jesus Christ is infinitely better and clearer than what Jonah preached, and they repented. If you're not saved this morning... God has already given you more time with a better message than he gave them with a less clear message. Trust him today. Trust the Lord. If you leave here, if you leave this world and spend an eternity in in hell, you will go there against the will of God because he is not willing that you should perish. Trust God today. Trust his son, Jesus Christ. And then back in our text, I want you to notice again chapter 3 verse 10. Now I trust you've read this once or twice, but let's, let's jump into this. Look at verse number 10. Again, God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But it displeased Jonah 
exceedingly. And he was very angry. It displeased him. You know, Jonah just went to go sulk in his own pity because God saved souls. In our outline this morning, we could have easily focused on, I could have put Jonah pouted, and I almost did. You know, I like my alliterations. But I went with pitied because I think it's, it defines him a little bit more. And it's the word in the Bible in this passage here. I think it's important to look at the source of his pouting and truly convey this brief truth. I'd like to read the entirety of chapter 4. It's only 11 chapters, or 11, 11 chapters, 11 verses, but I want to read it, and I will try to read through uh, fastly, but I want us to get a hold of this entire chapter here because it's quite significant. So again, verse number 1, it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and a merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. You almost think, does Jonah hear himself? Verse 3, Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then said the Lord, Doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd, and made it to come up over Jonah, a large plant, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm. When the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd that it withered, and it came to pass when the sun did arise, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted, and wished himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Why did Jonah pout? Because he had pity for something that did not matter. He had pity for something that did not matter, and he did not care at all about the things that did matter. To get an idea, how far Jonah was out of tune with the things of God, look again at verse number 1 of chapter 4. The Bible again says, It displeased Jonah exceedingly. And then notice the end of verse 6, where the Bible states that Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. The same word. The same word used in each verse, exceeding. Same word in the Hebrew. Now, we see that the measure of his displeasure in God showing Nineveh mercy was equal to the measure of his pleasure in the gourd. He pitied a plant more than he pitied people. Jonah pitied the wrong thing. 
And if we can say that God showed Jonah mercy by providing the gourd, then we can also conclude that Jonah was equally glad at receiving grace for himself and mercy as he was mad about God showing mercy and grace to Nineveh. We can probably make a handful of applications for us, but our biggest takeaway, I believe, is that God loves all people and that he's not willing that any should perish. And because of this, we need to make sure, you and I today, from this lesson here, that our priorities are always in line with God's priorities. And God loves the souls of men. You ever think about that when you're mad and somebody's cutting off in, in, in traffic or I'm, I'm getting used to this now. I've been living in Germany for a couple of years now, but I remember standing in line at Audi and there's four people in line, one register open and the next register opens. Everybody behind me gets in that line before me. I'm, what is going on here? I was there before them. Ich bin dran. That's the first phrase I learned in German. I'm just kidding. Um, I'm next. Um, but, you know, you get through that. But. You can get as angry as you want at that person getting there or that person cutting you off or doing whatever. God loves that soul. God loves that soul. That's a priority, God. He, she, that child is a priority to God. God loves the souls of men. And it is unique that this book ends with no reply from Jonah. Notice, Jesus asked, or God asked him, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? He asked him that in verse 9. Jonah responds to that, I do well to be angry. God responds to Jonah again. Thou hast had pity on the gourd. Should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six, six score thousand persons? Jonah's response? Silence. Silence. God had made it clear to Jonah that he pitied more for a gourd than came up in a night and perished in a night than he did for 120,000 souls. The truth is the life of Jonah, I believe, is a hard lesson for all of us. Are we bothered more by our gourds or our gardens, our careers, our cars, our computers, whatever it may be? Or does the value God places on the souls of men matter more than all those things that won't go beyond the grave? Truly, I think Jonah finally got it. I know we give him a hard time, but I think he got it. I think Jonah finally got it, which is why he did not close this book with a comeback. There is no reason to believe that Jonah himself did not write this book, and he chose not to close with a last word from him, but a last word from God. You know, I would ask this morning, and this is more to me than I think anybody, is God trying to get a hold of us? Is he trying to get a hold of our attention? Are we pitying the wrong things? And then going through the outline again, I want to say, is God getting our attention by allowing the storms of life to surround us as he patiently waits for you to pray? Have you surrendered to the preaching of God's word this morning, knowing that what has been revealed to us is much greater than what he revealed to Nineveh? And they repented. And are your priorities in line with God's? Paul told Timothy at the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 2, that we should pray for all men. Why? Because God wants, right out of the Bible here, all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You see, God had a great burden for the souls of Nineveh. And he went to great lengths to convince a man of his own people to go tell them about 
repentance about the things of the Lord. And I will close with this question. What lengths has God gone to to get a hold of you? Let's pray.